0: This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Bear Boat Alaska, a pure DIY hunting game with one of their 37-foot adventure yachts. You and five of your friends can hunt, fish, set crab pots, shrimp pots, and take DIY to the next level. Bear Boat Alaska is locally owned by a Ketchikan resident who lives here year-round. Call Larry at 907-617-4542 or go to bearboatalaska.com, that's B A R E boat alaska.com and tell larry you heard about it on this podcast welcome back to the podcast i'm here with chris alderman he is the owner co-owner along with your wife of screaming eagle archery there are two locations one's in wasilla and the new one is has opened in fairbanks it's family operated and uh, thanks for being on here appreciate it
1: yeah Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate the, appreciate the time here.
0: So we were just talking off the air uh, about your Wasilla location has indoor lanes and leagues and lessons and whatnot, but the Fairbanks one is just getting started. So maybe to start there, what's the difference in the Wasilla shop currently versus uh, the Fairbanks shop?
1: So the Wasilla store has been here um, since 2008. You know, My wife and I have owned it since 2013, and we've been a part of it the whole time just a little bit larger population and, and more of the hometown crowd here in Wasilla. We, we were able to purchase a building a few years ago. Um, we've got a pretty big shop. The range is 20 yards. You know, we've got 20 lanes. We've got the movable targets. So we can accommodate anybody from, you know, two yards to 20. Uh, we can even play around there do some 30, depending on how many people are here. Fairbanks was a, uh, we we proceeded with that cautiously. You know, we've seen a few shops come and go in that area. Um, not as many people, I don't think population wise is uh, the Matthew Valley, but a hard, hard, large military presence there with all the, all the active duty guys. So we just wanted to start small, get our feet in the door, get, get something going and just do what we could. We had a hard time finding uh, a large enough facility that was affordable with uh with a smaller lease. Everybody was like three to five years on leases, you know, and large square footage. So it's hard to find something that would accommodate. So we just wanted to get in, meet everybody and try to supply Fairbanks with quality equipment.
0: Yeah. That's kind of the unfortunate thing is some businesses will start off and they have a great model and then yeah. get real excited about it and overextend. And I've seen it with a couple of uh, people down here in Southeast Alaska with uh, charter businesses uh, start off with the one boat and they're crushing it with one boat, and then right. you know, go to three, four boats, and all of a sudden it's too much. So, uh, right. growth is great, and uh, but cautiousness uh, is, is definitely necessary. Your Wasilla site has a basketball floor. I'm interested about, <laughs> about the basketball uh, right. court there.
1: So, this, this place is classic Alaska, it's been added on and it's been a hundred different things. <clears throat> um, this was a smaller home. And then Roy Roth and his wife purchased this place. Um, and it started of turned into a flex place, you know, office spaces, uh, rentals. And then uh, my storyline's probably a little off. Sorry, Jeff, a little phone trouble here. You okay?
0: Yep, yeah, I got gotcha. you.
1: Sorry about that. Yeah, the uh, so Chris Stringer was a family, uh, family with uh, Roy Roth. And he passed away in kind of a tragic boating accident. Um, and they brought in the basketball court. I know Roy was coached there at Palmer High School and stuff and getting his kids involved and doing everything he could with the sports. So he built a memorial basketball gym here for the kids to have somewhere to go. Um, my understanding was there wasn't much of that in the Valley other than you know trying to take advantage of the schools. So he built a memorial basketball gym here, uh, basically in the crawl space, blew this thing out and made it a big gym. Hmm. Screaming Eagle opened right beside – this we've actually you know the original spot where screaming eagle opened is still attached it's a zero lot line it's it's just a big building um we've seen homeschool stuff here we've seen uh, church we've seen prom and homecoming stuff come through here and then we've you know we've met the roths and uh, roy and Jill through archery and then being here at the shop and uh just was able to purchase it from them and turn it into the archery range so all the basketball lines are painted in, and it's all epoxyed over. So, I'd, uh, I'm not uh, willing to tackle that to try to get rid of those basketball lines. It looks like a, a mess. Uh, I think Polish it's it's
0: it's, it's a classic. I think, I, as you said, that's uniquely Alaska in the multi-purpose uh, facility. Alaska has this unique sort of way that the high school gym, in a lot of cases, is the community center. That's where everything happens, especially when you're out in the rural communities. That's where you have, you know, potlatches. Right. That's where you have celebrations. That's where you have all these things. It's like this meeting center. So it's kind of got a, a cool character, um, Absolutely. to it. So I, I, would keep it save the money, man. Don't,
1: don't, yeah. <laughs> don't put any no, time and money that. taking that off. Yeah, it's awesome. And, uh, you know, I'm pretty, I'm pretty pretty messy, but no, it, it's, uh, it reminds us of Roy and, and being a part of his family with Chris Stringer, and then of course, uh, Roy passed away a few years ago, Sheep hunting. Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, there's a lot of family friend ties here, so we like it. Yeah. So it's definitely different.
0: Yeah. That's another nice thing about having local community is you get that tightness through the good and the bad, you know, tragedies sometimes bring us closer together. It's so ridiculous and cliche to say, um, but that the strength of the community really comes from getting through everything together, especially those cold winters.
1: It does uh it does get busy here in the wintertime the leaves and stuff are. there's kids all over the place we run a kids league on Tuesday nights basically from October to April so there'll be 20 30 kids in here from seven to you know 15 running around shooting bows it's a pretty good time nice so it's always the joke about where the basketball room is but we got really uh,
0: (laughs) yeah so let's kind of start chronologically i guess so if someone is if someone were to come to you maybe during the winter when they're bored or looking for something else to do and Mm -hmm. uh, what would be the starter kit starter bow what would you recommend to someone who's just getting into archery
1: Really, whatever works for the person. You know, you have a lot of this stuff that you got to do it one way or the other. We just, we're just, we just glad people are here. Um, whatever works for them is what we want to do. We can start with basic lessons. We have rental equipment. We have basic stuff to get a, get a person going. We got uh, anything from the kids. I mean, we've even had four-year-olds in here shooting these bows. So basically, if the kids can hold them up, they can get going in this stuff. You know, we've got little recurves and Genesis bows. It just depends on what the person's really looking to do and how far they want to go you know we can start ground up and just roll right in most of my guys and people that come in you know we've all had some bows in our hands through school or whatever as a kid and played with them so it's fairly easy to get a person going it just depends on what they want to do and and how far they want to take it so mm-hmm. we just Try to accommodate whatever works for the person.
0: As far as making the first purchase, what uh, mm-hmm. would you recommend? Obviously, you can spend as much money as you want, but maybe for Absolutely. the starter, uh, I got a PSE. I think it was a Stinger, so kind of a lower range, nice. um, mm-hmm. but a great starter. I think it was two hundred fifty, you know, three hundred dollars. Um, as far as money goes, what might someone be expecting uh, to pay if they want a quality? something that's not going to blow up on you. You know, I bought this bow on Amazon for $75 type thing. Right. uh, What can someone expect?
1: So we've got the mission, which is a a branch of Matthews. And then we've got of what we consider to be the top brands, your mission and elite bows. Like we've got those in a package that fits almost everybody for right at 600 bucks. And that is quiver rest stabilizer, all the goods. Basically, the only thing you need on top of that is arrows and a release. So, uh, you know, a nice trigger release is 50 bucks, And then another six, eight arrows is probably another 50 bucks. you know, depending on how fancy you want to be. But you're another 100 on top, so really nice quality stuff, lifetime warranties on the bows. And most of the equipment on that is right around $700. Um, there are other ways to do it. You know, you don't have to get as fancy as some of these kits are with quivers and all that. So really nice stuff out of the door is you know your four hundred, four fifty, five hundred for something in the Mission Matthews line.
0: Mm-hmm. You can one of the things that I saw as I was getting I guess better at and looking toward updating and I updated to uh, or upgraded to an elite uh, nice. was just difference in stabilizers, uh, difference yeah. in. Uh, pins versus adjustable sights, whisker biscuit versus a drop-away rest. So can you mm-hmm. talk a little bit about those sort of other things that go along with it?
1: Yeah, some of these stabilizers that come on the kits are not so much a stabilizer, just a, a dampener, you know, a little small, uh, get you going equipment. There's always room for upgrades. You know, you, you're going to get the length, which is going to push the weight further out or Closer to the bow, depending on where you want it, what what your end goal is with a balance game. And then on the sights, it's just as crazy as you want to get. You know, it's these, these basic sights have got just a little bit of fiber on them, so they're not as bright. Some of your higher-quality sights have got, you know, up to 14 inches of fiber per pin, which is why when you walk in, they look like they've got lights on them. <laughs> they're so bright, you know, from all the fiber that they've got in there. And the quality materials, you know, get away from your plastics and get into your machined aluminums. Most of those guys will start backing that up with a a fairly good lifetime warranty. You know, black gold sites, for instance, out of Montana, fantastic, fantastic stuff. You know, if you have any problems and somehow you do manage to break one of those things, it's just a phone call to get that stuff fixed up. And it's going to be that way, Jeff, with most of the stuff, your fall away rest, as soon as you get away from your plastics and into your quality stuff, you know, Hansky or QAD, those guys are going to back you up with warranties too. So you, you get a lot for your dollar once you move into that that little higher quality stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. Are there certain... Obviously, everything is subjected to a level of... I don't want to say snake oil, but something that doesn't really <laughs> actually help. It might be more of a cosmetic sort of thing. Uh, I've right. seen some things that maybe aren't super practical, but are good in certain applications. Some of the stabilizers for competitive shooting... You look like near are right. three feet long and that's okay. And, are, and that's yeah. competitive, competitive shooting. Um, right. Other people who are hunting maybe areas that are really, really open would go with a, it's like the quiver is the stabilizer. Is that what I'm oh, yeah, looking at? The right. The Is that what Absolutely. it's called?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So Dan Evans at Option Archery, he's kind of a multi-purpose per item guy. Uh, one of my favorite sites is the site that he makes is the option site. It's a fixed pin site. If it's out of the way and then you have an adjustable pin in there, you can slide up and down. So you have a single pin sight and a fixed pin sight all in one. And that's the same thing with that quiver you spoke about. It'll go on the front of the bow like a longer stabilizer to help you in those situations if you like that style. And if not, it just stays on the side of the bow like a normal quiver. So it gives you the option to move those around. That's what Dan's modeled his newer company at. He is the original guy from Trophy Taker. And the Shuttle T Broadheads—that was his original company. Uh, but I know he's moved away from that, and he's just focused on option archery right now. Mm-hmm. Pretty, uh, pretty cool stuff he's got. Quite a few multi-purpose items. He is—I uh, think he's a little wizard. <laughs> <this> stuff. It's
0: stuff. <laughs> It's—it's funny to see people, or great to see people when they're in their wheelhouse. Like no matter what it is, when they're just totally right. dialed in on another level, just—it's great to be able to learn from them. And observe how good they are at these things and why they're doing Mm -hmm. these certain things. Uh, And then the applications, of course, and and how that might uh, benefit you just by being around them and learning from them. So what would be a practical hunting setup? Talked a little bit about your introduction to archery. Maybe you're in a league, you're shooting. Um, Obviously, you don't want to have, well, maybe you do. I don't know. um, Something that you shoot competitively with or just for fun. But then a separate setup for the hunting, I would assume that you would want the same thing so what would be a, a good setup or things that you would look for uh, as far as a, a like a moose setup um would you not be looking for that uh quiver stabilizer because the terrain going to be too thick or right. um or mm-hmm. the what, what, what are you looking at for a, for a moose archery setup
1: most of the guys are, are a nice basic setup you know you're going to have a nice stabilizer to get you on there whatever's working for you on the bow um We've always said, Jeff, there's a million ways to do this, and I don't believe any of them's wrong. You know, if it helps a guy shoot better and, and make a better shot, then, you know, that's what works for him. It might not work for me or you or the next guy, but, you know, that's work. Well, That's what's working for him. So, um, nice quiver to hold your stuff. You don't want your arrows flopping around, of course, and you want them secure. I've had guys come in from sheep and moose hunts, and they have no idea where their quiver full of arrows went on the way up or down. No. That's always... uh little bit of a hard thing to talk about in hunting season but a good quality quiver to hold stuff on there a nice sight that you can see with you know they they've got these garmin sights with all the electronics and the glass in them those aren't typically legal in alaska if you're in a weapons restricted Uh, they don't let you have electronic bull mounted equipment so we try to avoid all that stuff um arrows is probably the biggest thing we we talk about everybody assumes they have to shoot the heaviest, craziest thing they can get their hands on, which isn't always the case. Uh-huh. We're just rolling back to that accuracy and what's working for the shooter, what's building the confidence and helping them shoot the best they can. Um, you know, you need 50 pounds to hunt moose in the state. You only need 40 for black bear and caribou, 50 for brown bear and moose, and then the other species are in there as well. But something you can shoot comfortably and accurately is, is the end goal here for us. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh-huh. What about that uh, tips and grain and arrows and things like that? Um, the right. same thing happens with hunting. You know, People are coming up here for Black Bear, and they assume that you know they have to have some massive thundermaker when, no, you, a nicely placed <laughs> 270 round is going to take down a Black Bear. It's all about exactly. accuracy. You have to be yep. confident in the accuracy. And so rather than buy some massive gun that you're afraid mm-hmm. to shoot and then come up here and then you know be wincing before you even uh, pull the trigger... All right, but what would you recommend as a kind of a responsible sort of uh setup for for hunting moose
1: um seems like most of the guys were you know we're, we want you to shoot as much weight as you can so you've got as much energy as you can have 60 to 70 pounds tends to get it done right in that uh arrows 450 to 550 depending on what the guy's after <clears throat> um, you know weight is uh, going to help us keep going with the momentum if you do get into some of those bones moose bones are pretty large contrary <laughs> to popular belief i don't uh, i don't think you're going to build an arrow to go through there but supposedly it's been done oh i don't know we <laughs> hear all kinds of stuff in here yeah so that's uh 60 to 70 pounds for a uh, for a normal in-shape guy and uh 450 to 550 grain arrow is is really well now, that being said, I guess I'll argue with myself. Um, last year, my wife took her second moose with a bow. It was a 30-yard shot. You know, she's a smaller lady. She's uh, she's not able to pull 60, 70 pounds. She's shooting her bow right at 55 pounds, and we're running a 450-grain arrow with a fixed blade, and that, that arrow passed through that animal, and it was a 50-yard recovery. So wow. that's the second time that's happened. <laughs> well, what about you? um last year was rifle moose with me i did attempt with a bow but uh i'm a hunter first not a not a bow hunter first mm-hmm. so i'm not uh i'm not scared to get the gun out <laughs> i've taken uh two moose with a bow and it's it's been roughly the same 50 yard shots nice pass through easy recovery but it's just that shot placement you know
0: mm-hmm. you uh like the fixed blade um is, is there any preference, like you said, you know, people can, whatever you're comfortable with, whatever you like, right. whatever you shoot, whatever you practice with is the most important, but uh, is there right. something that, that people tend to go with a little bit more with moose?
1: Yeah, it seems the, uh, <clears throat> mechanicals have got a bad rap through the, through the hunting industry. It seems like, uh, you know, if a guy loses an animal with a mechanical broadhead, it's the broadhead's fault, but if mm-hmm. you lose it with a fixed blade, it's the shooter's fault. Right. So we you know we try to build back on that confidence and and avoid all that uh that hard conversation stuff. So fixed blades are absolutely more popular than mechanicals. I do like mechanicals personally. That's my that's my game. I've always liked that larger hole but I'm I'm not a pocket shoulder shooting guy. I'm a rib cage lung guy. So it's just a different aiming spot, you know. Yeah. Trying to get that stuff through there but big fixed blades right now Iron Will they're making a, a super quality broadhead, you know, some hard steel. And those guys are probably the most popular thing we've got running through the store. I know the Fairbanks guys are loving those things. We're running a lot of iron wool broadheads through the shop up there.
0: Hmm. So you're all rigged up, got all the stuff. Uh, since I'm from Southeast Alaska, most of the stuff that we're doing, we're doing black deer and we're doing black bear. We don't have much of a moose hunt, obviously no caribou hunt. So it's, even though I'm Alaska, it's a much different program. Uh, I was looking at some of those hunts in there and the Matsu Valley area is so populated along with Anchorage that it seems like it would be really, really difficult to find a good moose spot or camp. And people that I've talked to, they hold their moose camp very, very high (laughs) in esteem. Like you have to be... I don't know how you get access to, or even invited into moose camp, but, uh, how would someone maybe over the counter for some of these early archery hunts that are over the counter? Um, how would they go about finding moosey type locations to try to get an opportunity?
1: Um, we're getting up in the, in the alders and the fireweed trying to get up on the hillsides. I've only done this early archery a couple of times. I was successful with it once. Um, so, we're just getting into those green rolling hills, alders, fireweed, trying to find those bulls coming up with the sunshine. Not a ton of experience. Moose hunting here for me. Um, normally, I'm working. I didn't pick my profession very well. <laughs> so, we do, uh, we do break away sometimes. Um, and it's almost like they're just, they're all bachelor bulls lined up. We do see some of the larger guys just kind of off by themselves, but... Uh, name of the game here for us has been figuring out where you can just see mm-hmm. you know having the visibility to to look around more to get up into those hills and glass has been uh, been the success for us you know <clears throat> we do have the early here and i think it was extended a couple of days i know the new regs are coming out july 1 and i've heard that uh, we did get the archery season extended by a few days, which is still a hot hunt. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's fairly hot that time of year. So you got to be quick with things, but Eklutna has an archery only moose hunt as well, but it is on a registration style. And, uh, that, that Valley, that, that mountain range stuff back there has been really nice for, for glassing distance and, and trying to see what's moving around, you know, and it, it always seems that it's, Grassy hills and alders is where things are at for us. Mm -hmm.
0: This is often the case in a lot of things. The distance between zero and one is a lot greater than the distance from one to two. So there are some things that even though you're not super experienced by just being on one or two successful moose hunts, you are so much further ahead of, of most people just starting out like myself. I've never been on a moose hunt. Uh, what would be one or two things that you would recommend to someone, um, just about what to expect, about how to get back to these areas, about tracking or shooting, or just something that uh, would prevent someone from being overwhelmed.
1: Access, um, you know, I've been here, like I said, since 2008. I see these walk-in guys fairly successful, but the uh, the UTVs and the the power equipment to get further back is just just gone crazy here. You know, everybody's got a big wheeler. There's just, there's people everywhere. Mm -hmm. Uh, it it almost a little disheartening when you think you're back there, you know, 40 miles and nobody's ever been there. And, you know, you look around on the next Hill and there's 20 guys standing there. Yeah. Um, but I've seen, I've seen guys, you know, think they got to go to the back. You got to go to the back. You got to go to the back. I've seen legal bulls standing between those guys in the parking lot. Mm-hmm. So it's just taking the time to look around. Probably the the hardest thing for me coming from a, you know, a non-resident guy was learning how to judge the moose. So a lot of those areas have got antler restrictions. You know, you'll have a brow tine restriction or a size, which is typically 50 inches. That's hard to, that's oh, yeah. hard to figure out. Yeah. You know, the first 10 moose you've ever seen in your life, they all look huge, right? Yeah. yeah. The, the 50 inch thing is hard and a lot of guys say well how do you figure that out and that's just that's just experience you know you're you're hoping to count those brow times um, we've let a lot of big bulls go because we didn't think they were 50 and they didn't have enough brow times and it's just something you got to swallow and and move on yeah I, i've heard but about learn pe- learn go ahead yeah yeah
0: i've heard about people that are they see massive moose that only have two brow tines, but they know right. that it's bigger than 50. I'm thinking, how can you know that? Uh, you can yeah, glass at that a dull sheep for long enough maybe to find if it's <laughs> yeah. if it's full curl, but I haven't done that either. Either I would I would just no. I would go for the double
1: broom. Like please exactly. just be double yeah, broom. Looking for, <laughs> looking for the easy. Yeah. Right. It's that way with the brow tine thing. It's, it's just figuring out, you know, where those palms are what separates them. Making sure you're legal and not getting in trouble with a man you know i've i've come back to the parking lot from hunts and there's guys there with 52 inch bulls and i'm like man how did you know and they just they just kind of smile i don't know if they really did or not but <laughs> man it's I, uh that's not a chance most of us are willing to take
0: no it'd be difficult uh to if you're on one of those non-resident hunts and you're flown in somewhere to have to right. be in that situation where man i put i'm $10,000 deep in this thing. And here's this moose yeah. and it looks whew, so good on people who are able to say, you know what, I'm just not sure. Uh, but typically yeah. I guess if you're going to get flown out to one of those areas, you're going back to areas that either don't have, you know, you're, you're going to have plenty of moose right. or they don't have, have restrictions. So.
1: Yeah. Which was our experience last year. I, I, uh, we got invited, um, with some people that I met here. Great, great family. Uh, James, they're from a village out on the Yukon. They invited us out there with their family cabin. My wife and I had a blast. I have never seen so many moose out there. <laughs> and it's a, it's an any bull, so it didn't mm. matter. Yeah. You know, there was none of that worry about what was legal and what wasn't. It was just a really good time and a, a big learning experience to see how those guys do things. Yeah, that'd be awesome.
0: Mm-hmm. What about uh, caribou? I'm going to head up uh, to the Brooks Range in uh, nice. late August, early uh, mm-hmm. or late July, early August, and the possibility of sneaking up on caribou seems kind of interesting. Got to use the terrain. There's not the trees that we have down here to hide motion. You just seem like you're just
1: out there. Yeah, you're um, just what, out there.
0: What can you tell me about uh, caribou archery?
1: Well, that's the other thing, Jeff, I've not done. Um, <laughs> hopefully this year we get that done. I've always been here working. My wife and my friends have done that a lot. We've got a lot of great customers that's done that hunt. I didn't put in for any tags this year, and uh, that's our hunt this year. That's that's what we're just going for. Mm-hmm. I could speak to a lot of stories I've heard, but as far as doing it myself, I've never done it. I yeah. have been on the highway up there working. Um, when I come to the state in 08, I was with Caterpillar here, NC Machinery, so I worked, uh, I've worked up there quite a bit, but never had the opportunity to have a bow in my hand and do it at the same time. So it does look like a, a fun and challenging hunt, but there's a, there's a pile of success coming, coming out of that hunt too. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. I've, I've been on one hunt, uh, up there. It was a rifle hunt. It was the 40 mile herd in March. And so that's, it's way, way different. Cause we were just cruising around on right. snow machines. But it does give yeah, you an absolutely. idea of what the terrain is like and how far you're going to be glassing and just a general idea of, you know, you have small patches of, well, at least the 40 mile herd, there's those small, small patches of forest and whatnot. So you can kind of just get in a right. basic idea, but that's going to be totally different than the brooks. Um, absolutely. So it's going to be super fun, but it's funny right now, my buddy and I are scouting spots and we're just like, this looks good and this looks good because we don't really yeah. know what is and what isn't. It just kind of <laughs> ends up being what we see, so
1: Yeah. And then you'll get there and everything will change. Yeah, exactly.
0: Do you, do you often, when you do hunt plan on being on plan C by day three or anything? Like, have you had hunts in your life that have just gone totally as planned or are you one of those
1: that just always changes? I'm a fly by the seat of my pants guy. (laughs) Yeah. There's no, there's no planning with me. (laughs) A lot of guys get frustrated at me. It's, you know, we gotta be so quick though. Sometimes we have opportunity to leave. Hmm. or, you know, get, get invited or or get an opportunity to get out of the shop. And we just have to, yeah, we just have to wing it. Yeah. Um, Of course, we've had a few of those easy hunts where everything just goes as planned and you're standing there in your Crocs wondering what happened. Uh, That's happened a few times, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a very poor planner. Yeah. Other than this is what we just want to get after and go do. That's about as far as I ever get.
0: Yeah, I think the danger in having too much of a plan is as soon as things start to get different, you can feel unprepared, uh, you can feel overwhelmed. Um, I'm not really someone who's an A-type personality, so I'm ready for some sort of change, but it, it is a little bit flustering sometimes when all of a sudden things have to change pretty drastically and it takes me a little bit to kind of adopt a new thing and just go with the flow. But right. other times it's like, perfect. No, it's fine. This is not going to happen. Let's do this. No big deal.
1: Right. Yeah. I think that's why I've learned to just go with the flow the whole time. So you're not <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. trying to figure out what to do. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't always work out for everybody else around me. They, they tend to wonder what's going on, but yeah. Do you No, have- it's uh.
0: Go ahead. Do you hunt with people who are pretty similar to you, or do you find that you kind of complement each other as far as attitudes and as far as I don't know approach go?
1: Yeah, I think it's more of the compliment side. Um, I'm the I'm the go with the flow and just kind of wing it and see what happens. Tend to be a lot of planners in the in the groups when we get in there. Uh, I'm, of course, we've all got very similar ethics and ideals mm-hmm. on how things need to be but yeah, it's always the complimentary thing. I'm the stress out, try to, try to make it work guy and just go with the flow and hope everybody else is having a good time. And normally everybody else is having a good time and I'm worried for nothing. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. I just, when I, when I was started out hunting, I just didn't want to be the weak link. I didn't want the exactly. whole trip to be dependent upon whether or not I was mentally or physically mm-hmm. capable of doing these things. Cause that would just be such a and that's how you don't get invited on hunts either. <laughs> you know, if you're, exactly. if you're complaining right. or not prepared, then all of a sudden you're, you're not
1: going with anybody. Yeah. And, uh, I've, uh, I've learned quite a bit over the years hunting with some guys here. You know, we've been in those situations where you're wondering how you got yourself there. And next thing you know, you're cuddled up in a soft bowcase beside a fire that's happened. So, <laughs> you know, you, you run off, you got caught in the dark, you left all your gear down by the Creek and. You're wondering where, where things are at. Um, that was a hard learning experience, but we, we made it, we got it done. So.
0: Yeah. I get, I get frustrated sometimes when there's something that I should have learned from, you know, I grew up in Southeast, like uh, from when I was five years old until now, I know that it's going to be rainy and you should just count on rain. If it said, if the weather says it's going to stop raining at noon, it means it's not going to stop. So right. the fact that even yesterday I was out with my wife and we were just kind of do some little scouting and I had kind of rain resistant, uh, hunting pants on and then a windproof jacket, but it wasn't, it wasn't waterproof. And when the rain right. just kept coming and kept coming and it was supposed to be like a 30% chance at one o'clock, otherwise cloudy. And it rained from one o'clock to three. And I was like, I know better. <laughs> it was so frustrating. I, come on. Yeah, but have, you, he, have you not learned?
1: No. You no, it's like you hope you hope everything's going to be okay, and you just go for it, right?
0: Ugh, I know. And my wow. my wife, who uh, grew up in Lexington, Massachusetts, she had her rain pants, and she had her rain jacket. And, you know, she just was... kind of smile at you. Yeah. like, ah, oh, man. Right? Frustrating.
1: But... Yeah, that was, uh, you know, trying to keep the kids ready. So mm. my 13- and 10-year-old, you know, we stress about them and hope they're covered up and warm, and everybody's having a good time. Uh, Finally went to Seward snagging fish the other day. Nice. I was the only one with a hoodie, and it was blowing wind and raining (laughs) sideways. So the kids are Uh, shivering, and they're not having fun. And I just kind of look at them, and I'm like, you guys are Alaskans. Like, you're born and raised here. You've got zero excuses for this. Yeah. Yeah, so, well that that
0: yeah. little kid metabolism. I remember going to the river and wading in, you know, past my boots, and I'm just wearing jeans and a hooded sweatshirt. But your metabolism when you're a little kid is just, yeah, your little furnace. But you get a little yeah, bit older. Sometimes it's uh, it's not the not same so thing.
1: Much. Yeah, yeah. Well, as soon as they hooked into fish, they were fine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There was some chattering going on for a minute.
0: Have you found it at all difficult to get your kids excited about doing things outside? Um, I can't imagine there's much of a resistance, but you know, I think (laughs) some, some areas maybe in the lower 48, they don't necessarily see the value. It might be more difficult to get kids out fishing. And there's that, you know, advocacy programs to try to get kids fishing and, and hunting and up here doesn't seem like you have to really persuade anybody.
1: No. Um, my little kid, my, my son, he just, he loves fishing. Uh, he doesn't get all that quite from me, but that's just what he loves to do. So, you know, we try to fire that as as much as we can and just let him have a good time with that. Um, my daughter, a little more involved in gymnastics, but uh, she likes to get out and go fishing with us, have a good time, see some bears. We do quite a bit of bear baiting. Just uh, being out there, being around those critters is a pretty good time. Yeah. It doesn't take much to get us at get them excited really they uh they enjoy it as much as we do they like being out there so
0: that's good are you concerned at all going forward about um where the future leads as far as uh, resource availability for when they're adults
1: yeah that's always uh, a scary thought to to get into especially with the way everything else is going yeah yeah um i've seen the seen the fishing get shut off up here a lot you know i i enjoy sitting in the woods and and seeing bear and moose and caribou a little bit more than i do fishing here the rules turn me off you know what day of the week and what time of the day and what bank and how many hooks and you got to be a lawyer to Mm -hmm. figure all this stuff out sometimes it seems but it does seem that that a lot of that's going away and i hope these guys are paying attention and trying to keep things active for them
0: yeah that's a tough thing that uh you need some of these closures to make sure things, right. you know, it's sustainable and there's the debate about uh, hatchery impact and, you know, down south, a lot of those rivers with the hatcheries have, yep. it's it's diluted the wild run um, mm-hmm. and you know, the climate stuff. I hate saying climate change. I say it, I think, every episode because when everybody anybody right. says climate change, you think of, you know, some of the hollow politicians who are saying crazy stuff about things that aren't going to affect their life at all because, you know, right. um, but yeah, it is kind yeah, of but, scary thinking about forward.
1: Yeah. But I mean, all, we've all seen a change, you know, we have the guys that have, that have lived here all their lives that are, you know, looking at retirement. They, they come in here all the time talking about how, you know, the weather is different and it's not been this way. It's, oh, it's so crazy. So yeah, it's still a, a decent conversation to be had and yeah. definitely some differences, but yeah, I don't
0: know. Yeah, we had a really good snow year which was kind of miserable to, to live through and drive mm-hmm. through. But uh you just the water levels are up in the rivers. The last couple of years we've had less snow and so You know, if you don't get rain for a couple weeks in July, then that first run of of silvers that come up some of the rivers around here, we have a lot shorter rivers than you have up there because it's island rivers. So it's a lot more temperamental, a lot more subjective or subject to uh, to dry spells. And the water level will will drop and it'll get warmer and you'll have fish die off sometimes. So with all that snow during the winter, some of us were thinking, good, it's going to be good for the fish. It's going to be miserable to drive, but... <laughs> um, you, you, you gotta like give and take. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you gotta it's take
1: it.
0: Yeah. I think we have a much better idea of how all the seasons kind of run together and the importance of all that stuff. And so I think there's a lot of good right. conversations being had about, uh, the climate and environmental issues. Uh, and it doesn't mm-hmm. mean that you are environment, environmentalist or, or right. any sort of those green type people. There's some good conversations that can be had about what's going on and what we do going forward. Absolutely. So, um, to close up here a little bit, what, uh, would you say, um, would be the pitch for getting involved in archery, um, even if not archery hunting and how can you provide and assist someone in their quest?
1: So what we see now, Jeff, we see a lot of kids being interested from seeing archery in the schools. So there's NAS program, which is national archery and school program. It's not in every school in Alaska, but. It's in quite a few. <clears throat> um, ammo is crazy. Guns are crazy. So we get a lot of people coming in to find a shooting sport where they don't have to go and buy ammo, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a learning curve. You're gonna lose and break some arrows, but we got quite a few of those around here. We got a lot of families that have, you know, a decent yard. So you got somewhere to shoot at home, outside with the kids. I've got tons of families in here that they make their kids shoot an hour of the archery in the yard, they get an hour of game time. So there's, there's all kind of stuff to get the family outside, get everybody shooting and having fun. It's not always about hunting. We've got a lot of just target shooters that love to come in, have a competitive game with themselves or some friends. And that's what we're here for. Whatever can help people get involved in shooting. I don't care if it's used bows, news bows, whatever, as long as a guy's shooting a bow, we're happy and love to help you get going. So
0: awesome. And uh, where can they find you? Do you have a phone number, email, website, Mm -hmm. Instagram, all that?
1: Yep, we've got a little Instagram and Facebook. Um, We're not on there as crazy and as much as we should be. There is a website here, screamingagularchery.com. That is the main shop here in Wasilla. Fairbanks has got uh, a nice little shop up there. If you Google Screaming Eagle Archery, typically the Wasilla page is going to come up first. Just look for the Fairbanks. Um, That small store there is on College and Johansson and a little retail store. And then our Wasilla shop is 210 Park Avenue. We're right by Lake Lucille.
0: Excellent, man. Well, I appreciate uh, your time, Chris, and looking forward to maybe visiting the Fairbanks shop uh, when I'm up there if we have time before we head north.
1: Yeah, sounds good, Jeff. Love to have you in there.
0: Cool. Thanks, man. Appreciate it.
1: Thank you.